Welcome to Professor Charlene Hesbybe's podcast series. In our third podcast about her book, Waiting for Cancer to Come, she talks about how the women in her study come to take the BRCA gene test and the things that impact their decision. For the most part, the women I interviewed, those especially that were married and had children, would tell me, I want to get tested because I want to have the knowledge to be able to live longer for my children, to be able to take care of my medical situation. I want to be around for them. Another important reason, whether you were married or not, was this idea that genetic testing will allow me to get the knowledge to save my life so that if I get tested, I'm armed with information to do something to get preventative surgery. So preventative surgery was in their minds, enabling them to fight off cancer that might come their way. Do we know what proportion of women who have cancer do have the BRCA gene? Really, we're talking about 10% of all women with breast cancer have hereditary BRCA1 and 2. But we know that if I do not have a hereditary breast cancer, Uh, my chances of getting cancer over my lifetime is about 12%. If I have BRCA1, which is one type of hereditary breast cancer, my odds go up 60 to 90%. That's pretty significant. And if I have BRCA2, another mutation, it's between 30 and 85%. So you can imagine knowing that you have this BRCA mutation, knowing the increased, dramatic increased risk for you, Who wouldn't want to get tested to prevent cancer from coming and not waiting? Tell us a bit about Jennifer, who had a a long family history of cancer. She was six months old uh, when her mother died at the age of 26. Most of her mom's sisters also had breast cancer. They all died from breast cancer. So you might ask, why did she wait until when she, she knew about this? You know, even at 17, she was having mammograms and feared cancer. Why did she wait until her mid-30s to be tested? In in the 90s, she came of age with the genetic testing industry, was in its infancy, and she tried to get tested. But each time, even in her 20s, people would say to her, genetics counselors would say, it's premature for you to be tested. So uh, she waited and waited and waited until she got cancer in her 30s. And then she was tested. And what was her experience? And what did it tell you about the industry as a whole? I think what was running around in her story was the fact that she couldn't afford to get the test even if she wanted to. If she wanted to feel empowered about testing, uh, she really didn't have much money. And at that time, in the beginning of testing, uh, genetic testing, and still is true today, it's very expensive. So she put it off for economic reasons. And I think She was also a little bit concerned about knowing. She had such fear about it that it was almost a kind of fatalistic thing for her that she'd eventually get it. It had all of the kind of waiting around for cancer to come feeling. Was that a sort of a common experience amongst the women that you spoke to? It's hard to say what's common with a lot of them, but getting tested in her 30s wasn't such an unusual thing. But given her history, her condition was not taken seriously. Being young and having such a history was not something I think the medical profession was ready to begin to test someone who was 17 or 18. This was just not on their radar. So in that sense, I think 
her story is a bit atypical. What about the practicalities? And you mentioned there that Jennifer, you know, just simply didn't have the money to pay for this test. What about that? I mean, money's a bit of a reoccurring theme in the book, I think, in terms of costs, the money, the insurance cover to pay for tests, not just that, but also then maybe to go on and pay for possible treatment. A lot of the women in my study did have insurance, but there was a segment of women who were, even if, if they could afford it, there was this kind of stigma about, well, what if my employer finds out? What is this going to do for my job prospects? And I think just having that fear of the stigma of knowing, and this was probably truer for the older women in the study, there are certain laws in place now that prevent employers from asking about your health-related issues. But people still fear that somebody will find out and it would not be good for them. But for the most part, even those people that could sort of afford it had to fight very much to get tested. And if they weren't, they couldn't afford to to get the test when they wanted to get it uh, because their insurance wouldn't pay for it. Did you get a feel then for the sorts of women who were most likely to get tested based on your study and the available information that you had? I know you you worked very hard to get a real cross-section of of women in your study. The mean age of my women was around 39 years, and most of them were married. 75% of the women were either married or in a relationship, and and the rest, 25, were, were not married. These were pretty highly educated women, almost 90% had a four-year degree or higher. And most of them were Caucasian, 88%. About 20% were diagnosed with cancer already, and the rest were, were not diagnosed with cancer. So they were waiting for cancer to come all the women in my study got tested. I'm quite interested to know a bit about the role of the internet when it comes to the available information and online support groups and things like that, which I assume especially the younger generation might might turn to. In my study, lots of younger women did tell me that they got their information from the internet. They didn't go to the doctor to find out. They, they went on the internet to various sites that provide resources for women with hereditary breast cancer. It's interesting. I'm not sure what to make of it, but it seemed as if the youngest women in my study were heavily involved in the internet uh, using online support. And very often, this was very much tied to their getting tested at a younger age. And it just could be a confounding relationship. The younger you are, the more internet usage you have and so on. So it's really hard to say, but it's really, really clear that a lot of the younger women had a very heavily involved, active internet interaction around decision-making, getting information about surgery, for example. A number of the women you spoke to were concerned about the type of information that was being presented on the internet, though, weren't they? Some of the women who went to the websites and were turned off said to me, these websites seem very pro-surgery, and that turned me off. You know, Even if I wanted to get surgery, it seemed like a lot of surgical talk was taking place. One woman said people were showing you before and after pictures or discussing the kind of procedure you would get. And not very often would surveillance be mentioned. And people would share their post-surgical experiences. It's really hard to say these internet sites promote surgery. But there, there was the feeling, even among those women who went on to get surgery, that these sites were too pro-surgery. What explanation do women give for not taking the test? The fear factor among women is is so high. What we see 
is that gap is almost closed between testing and the and getting cancer, the fear of getting cancer. And it explains a lot why some women, not the case of Jennifer, but some women don't want to be tested, even though they, they know they have the BRCA mutation, because they're not ready to get surgery. They're not ready to face the music, as one of them said to me. I don't want to get tested because I'm not ready to get tested. And that not readiness, it was really a strategy that they used to accomplish other things in their life. I don't want to get tested. I know I probably am BRCA positive, but I, I want to have a boyfriend. I, I still have some time. But if I got tested somehow or other, I'm going to have to have surgery. So I don't want that. So they play this kind of game of not being ready. I know I have BRCA, but I don't want to know it. When you listen deeply, you realize that they're negotiating time. It's not necessarily waiting for cancer. They know that. But they're waiting, and it's some way to get control over their destiny. They're putting it off. They're playing the odds, and they're saying, I'm not ready to do that now. This is a really interesting finding. Charlene Hesbiber was talking to me, Chris Garrington, about her book, Waiting for Cancer to Come, which is published by the University of Michigan Press. In our next podcast, we'll talk about what it means for a woman to find out she's BRCA positive, how she responds to the news, and how she decides to tell or not to tell. This series is produced by Research Podcasts.